0: WTBN Pinellas Park, W262CP Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. Moss portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast
1: at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
0: And the answer, folks, to all of these concerns is that's nonsense. Because regardless of the attacks against the gospel and regardless of the pressures brought by some to abandon the church's message of salvation by grace alone through faith in Christ alone, the church will continue to exist. Jesus said that.
1: Jesus said in Matthew 16 that he would build his church and the gates of Hades would not prevail against it. His primary teaching was that just as death would not keep him in the grave... Jesus would not allow death to keep his followers in the grave. But there's also the sense that he will preserve his church against any and all attackers. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're examining the nature of the church. We've already considered the foundation of the church, its leadership and its funding, and for the past few days, we've been thinking about its permanence. If you hold up your hand and put your thumb and index finger about an inch apart, That'll give you some idea how much time you and I have left on this planet. It doesn't matter if you're 9 years old or 99. We only have just a short time left in these mortal bodies. Then what? In his journal entry of October 28, 1949, martyred missionary Jim Elliott wrote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. 17th century English preacher Philip Henry wrote something very similar, and I suspect both were inspired by the words Jesus spoke to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16. Here's Pastor Steve now with those words and how they can change our lives.
0: Notice what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 16 about the future. Notice verse 24 of Matthew 16. Let me read this again, and you'll see in context and flow where where he's going. The, The logic of our Lord, the reasonableness of our Lord. He says in verse 24, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He's talking about discipleship. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man? Here's his logic. Here's where he's going with this. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul or what will it, what will a man give in exchange for his soul for the son of man is going to come in the glory of his father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Now our Lord is asking this penetrating question. What good will it do you if after you have gained all kinds of material wealth and honor in this world, what will it benefit you if at the end of, your days on earth, you'll lose your own soul forever. The obvious answer is it doesn't mean anything. You've got maybe 60, 70, 80, maybe 90 years. You've got a a little window of opportunity in this world to trust Christ. What will it benefit you if you gain everything else but not him? Because then you die and it's over. You don't have an opportunity to accept him after death. This is the most serious matter in life because Jesus said eventually he's coming back to return to this earth to deal, he said, in judgment with those who never became his disciples, those who never took up their cross and willingly followed him. So if you die in your sins, meaning you never trusted him, it's too late. You will eternally experience the power of death and will never be raised in the Lord's presence because your sins weren't forgiven. You will be raised at the end of the days, but only to be sentenced to the lake of fire. That's what Revelation 20 is talking about. And so I urge you, if you've never trusted Christ, come to him for salvation before it's too late. The writer to the Hebrews says, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. You don't have another opportunity after death. Now, that is the primary meaning of Christ's words. The gates of Hades will not overpower those called to be his followers because we will rise from the dead. But having said that, there are a number of important implications as well as applications that emerge from these words. First of all, implied in our Lord's words here is the great truth that since he will rise from the dead, He'll be able to continue and he will be alive to continue his work of building his church. In other words, this is a great promise that in spite of all the opposition the church will receive over the years, the church will never cease to exist. It'll never cease to exist. Why? Because Christ lives to build it. That's an important point for us to understand because there are some today who have wondered about the future of the church. Can it continue to exist in these days of such great hostility and opposition? Will there be so much opposition from the world that eventually there'll be no church? There are others who have even wondered if the church will continue to survive unless it changes its message and tries to be more relevant and and have a more contemporary significant voice to a new generation. And the answer, folks, to all of these concerns is that's nonsense. Because regardless of the attacks against the gospel and regardless of the pressures brought by some to abandon the church's message of salvation by grace alone through faith in Christ alone, the church will continue to exist. Jesus said that. Why? Simply because he's alive and he's Lord. And therefore he will continue as our resurrected Lord to build his church by saving the elect. See, I find this truth to be, extremely encouraging, because it tells us that regardless of how dark the days might be for the church in the future, and there there may come a time, and probably will, where it will be very dark, even in our lifetime, the church in America. The Lord will always have his true church on earth until he raptures the church before the tribulation period. You look back in church history, and and if you've ever studied church history, it, it can be a little disheartening because you wonder, especially during the Middle Ages, where was the church? Where was the real church? Well, there were still believers on earth. They just didn't get written about in many church history books. There were a few, but they were still there because the church will always exist until the Lord raptures the church just before, as I said, the tribulation period. Why is that the case? Because the Lord is the one building his church and not man. Frankly, if the church were just another human institution, it would have passed away years ago. It would have died. It couldn't possibly exist with all of the conflicts and all of the doctrinal confusion and all of sinful responses by people and all of poor leadership and carnality and hypocrisy that goes on in many local churches. It couldn't possibly have continued to last this long unless the Lord was the one building his church. If man had done this, would have gone out of existence way, way long ago. But it has continued to exist for the past 2,000 years and will continue to exist in spite of all of its faults and imperfections from sinful people because Christ will continue to save his people and therefore he will continue to perpetuate his church on earth. That's a great comfort. Don't worry about the future of the church. It will continue to exist. Another implication from these words by Christ is that we can expect the church of Jesus Christ to be assaulted by the devil, but take heart, because he will not triumph in the end. Although I don't think the primary message here, as I said before, is that hell itself comes against and assaults the church, and the gates are what Satan uses to assault. I don't think that's the message at all. But the truth is, is that Satan, and I think the implication here is that the church can expect persecution... It can why? why will Satan not triumph in the end because those Christians who die as martyrs will rise again, rise again. Jesus often spoke of the resurrection of people and, and really persecution that comes before it as uh, as something that would happen in the lives of of his followers this This should not be a surprise to us. Jesus spoke about persecution often taking the lives of those who are his disciples. Let me encourage you to look back at Matthew chapter 10. We studied this a while back, but in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus predicted this. As I said, we have it rather comfortably in America, that may change, but the church around the world is a persecuted church. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus said, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents, And innocent as doves. There are going to be people like wolves. Who want to tear you apart. And some will do it. But beware of men he said. For they will hand you over to the courts. And scourge you in their synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings. For my sake as a testimony to them. And to the Gentiles. And notice verse 21. Brother will betray brother to death. And a father his child. And children will rise up against parents. And cause them to be put To He even said in verse 28, Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. Don't fear Satan. Don't fear the world that he uses to attack us. So it is true that persecution will come and Christians will die as a result. But here, back in Matthew 16, the Lord is giving every true believer the great promise that if they have to give up their lives for his sake, understand this, you will ultimately triumph because death will not be the end for you. Therefore, based upon this great promise that death will not be the master over God's people, no believer in Christ need ever fear dying. You shouldn't because Jesus promised that we will rise again since the gates of death are powerless to keep us from rising. Yet sadly and tragically and needlessly, there are many believers who are apprehensive and very uncomfortable about death. And why is this the case? Now, listen, none of us looks forward to the pain of death, but we need never fear death if you're a born-again Christian. Why? Some, I'm convinced, are afraid of death because they fear that they have somehow sinned against God's grace, that they have lost Salvation, they haven't lived for the Lord like they should, and they're afraid that God has rejected them, and therefore they fear that God is going to send them to hell when they die because they've not performed and obeyed him like they should. Well, we ought to obey. We ought to honor the Lord, but your salvation is not secured by your obedience. Salvation is secured by Christ's obedience in going to the cross. Scripture is absolutely clear that a true Christian will never, ever perish. And let me show you this. I think the clearest statement is found in John's Gospel, chapter 10. I want you to see this. Some of you are new in the faith. You may struggle with this yourself. You may wonder, well, can I lose this salvation? How secure am I? In John chapter 10, Jesus said some words that really, I don't know how he could have put it any clearer than this. In fact, I don't think it could be any clearer than this. In John chapter 10, verse 27, he's using the analogy, he's the shepherd, his people are the sheep, says in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. They hear his voice calling them to salvation. They believe on him. They follow him. He said, and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. Did you see that? And in the original language, it's very strong. They will never, ever perish. It's impossible for them to perish. He said, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Listen, not only are we secure in Christ, we're secure in the father as well. We're in good hands as that commercial said. But we're in the hands of the Father and in the hands of the Son. It's not a matter of you hanging on to Christ, persevering. It's a matter that he's hanging on to you. And he's not letting go. And the Father is hanging on to you too. Yes, we all sin. Yes, we all blow up. But our salvation is not dependent upon our performance in the Christian life. It is dependent upon Christ's finished work on the cross 2,000 years ago, which was absolutely perfect and accepted by the Father. Therefore, when Scripture speaks of the death of a believer, listen, it always speaks of death with the ring of triumph and of victory. And I want to show you one passage of Scripture, Romans chapter 8, that addresses this. If this is not victorious, I don't know what victory is. In Romans chapter 8, the whole purpose of this chapter is to say that once you are saved, you will never be condemned, ever. You'll never be condemned because Christ took condemnation, our condemnation, upon himself. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Rather blunt and direct way of putting it, no one in Christ Jesus will ever be condemned. So the question people have, well, Can I ever get out of Christ Jesus? No, of course not. That's nonsense. And Paul addresses that. In fact, he goes through this chapter telling us why we can never lose our salvation. That's the point of this chapter, to say we are totally secure. And when he comes to verse 28, he says this, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, his point here is to say, if you could lose your salvation then how is this possibly true? If God causes all things to work together for good in a believer's life, what could possibly work in your life to cause you to lose your salvation? All things work together for good. If you know Christ, good things, neutral things, even evil things that people have done to you, even evil things in your own life, somehow God is so sovereign that he works all these things out for our good, never for our detriment, never for our detriment. All of it's being used for our good. How so? Verse 28 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. Meaning that God is so sovereign that whatever comes into your life is used for your betterment in the sense that he's using it to make you more like Christ. You may not particularly see that in your life, but that's happening nonetheless. He is making you more like Jesus Christ. So you say, well, if evil comes in my life and this happens to me, then I'm going to lose my salvation. Of course not. God says that all things, including evil that comes upon you is used to draw you closer to Him and make you more like Him. That's why He goes on to say in verse 30, and these whom He predestined, He also called, and these whom He also called, He also justified, and these whom He justified, He also glorified. Paul speaks as if glorification, which means being with Christ in heaven. It's a done deal. He speaks of it in the past tense, even though it hasn't happened yet, because it's so sure. It's so absolute. No believer can ever be lost. And then notice this. He goes on to say in verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? That's what I'd like to know. What shall we say to these things? Paul tells us, here's what we say. If God is for us, who's against us? Now, I'll tell you who's against us. Satan is against us. And every time you sin, especially if it's a grievous sin, you hear him whisper in your heart, how could you possibly be a Christian and do that? How could you possibly say you know him and behave like that or have such wicked, hideous thoughts? If God is for us, who is against us? The devil is against us. But here's God's answer. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Once again, the implication is Satan will. God is the one who justifies. Satan may tell you you're lost. You can't be saved. God said, I've justified you. I've declared you righteous. I've declared you righteous, even if our behavior is not always righteous. He credits righteousness to our accounts. Legal righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. Who is the one who condemns, verse 34? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. So, who is the one who condemns? Satan is the one who condemns. Who is the one who died? Christ died, so that we should understand we will never be condemned. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And then Paul says this, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. We don't just conquer, we overwhelmingly conquer. For I am convinced, and listen, if Paul's convinced and we're convinced, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created things will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, Christ has given us the victory over sin and death. Therefore, there is no condemnation facing us when we die. There's no condemnation, real condemnation in this life from God, nor in the world to come, but only the Lord's presence. When a believer dies, his soul and spirit goes immediately into the presence of Christ. That's why Paul could say, absent from the body, present with the Lord. That's why he said in Philippians 1, to die is gain. Our body goes into the earth in burial, and at the resurrection, the Lord changes that body and gives us a glorified, resurrected body that is reunited with our spirit, which has been with Christ for all these years, and thus will always be with the Lord. Now, if you are not a Christian, if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then you should definitely be concerned about dying. No question about that, because you're not ready to die. You should fear death. How do you get ready for death? How do you prepare for death? You fall upon the mercy of God for the forgiveness of your sins by trusting Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Not Christ and I've done some nice things. Not Christ and I go to church. Christ and him alone. Recognize your sin of being a lawbreaker. Repent of it and believe that Christ's death was payment, payment for your sin of breaking his law. Now, if you're already a believer, then praise God. You ought to be praising God. You ought to go out of here praising him and thanking him because regardless of how you die, and you will die, whether by natural causes or as a martyr, you will never be held in bondage to death. The gates of Hades are going to open up for you as you rise to meet your Lord in the air, all because of Christ's grace in our lives. Let's bow for prayer. Lord this is certainly a sobering passage of scripture it deals with the very key and primary issues of life meaning life and death itself i thank you lord that your word says you hold the keys life and death hades and i thank you that there is no condemnation for those in you lord we will rise again what a comfort that is we praise you for that lord I pray for any believer who's struggling with the assurance of salvation that these words will grip their hearts and give them great assurance and great encouragement. I pray, on the other hand, for those who don't know you. I pray that this will be used of you to convict them of sin, their need for salvation. I pray, Lord, they would come running to you, knowing how desperate it is because we know not when our hour is up. No one knows when they're going to die. And so I pray, Lord, that you will open the hearts of those who may not know you hearing this message. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. If you have just asked Jesus to be your Savior, I hope you'll tell someone right away. And Pastor Steve would love to know about it, too. Or if you have questions about sin, salvation, or how to know for sure if you have eternal life, I'll have a phone number for you in just a moment. This is Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today's broadcast was the conclusion of a message that we had split into three parts to fit into radio format. If you'd like to hear the entire sermon without any interruptions, you can get a free CD by calling this number, and it's the same number to call if you have questions about salvation. It's 727-239-0306. To get your CD, ask for message 4228, The Nature of the Church, part 8. If you call outside office hours, please leave a message with your daytime phone number so we can contact you for details. Once more that number is 727-239-0306. Pastor Steve has a special concern for those who cannot see God's printed word. So since I have a little more time today than usual, I'd like to tell our blind listeners about a free offer. If you have a digital talking book player from the Library Service for the Blind and you would like a free audio Bible for your digital player, call 800-838-5924 or visit www.blindbibles.com. That's blindbibles.com or 800-838-5924. I'm your announcer, Jerry Peterson. It's a huge privilege to be a part of the Verse by Verse team. Another blessing, though, is that when I'm not producing these programs, I'm involved in another aspect of the mission where I serve, helping build a radio station in West Africa. I know full well from this experience, as well as having served several years in radio in Central America, that radio broadcasting is not cheap. While Lakeside provides partial funding for verse-by-verse, we would not be able to do what we do without the help of generous listeners like you. We need you, and we appreciate you. If you're being blessed by these daily Bible classes, would you pray about helping keep them on the air? We make it a simple process at our website, versebyverseradio.org. Click the Giving tab near the top of the page and you'll find more information. We do
0: ask, though, that you please keep your own church the highest priority in your giving. I hope you.